This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to episode 103 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. I've been away for a little bit. I understand it's been a month or so. I apologize. I had a new job and then I moved, which is insane in New York City if you've ever done that. Um, So I apologize. And then also uh, Father's Day was yesterday and it wasn't too fun to think about. Um, recently lost my father to cancer, and it is uh, something that uh, be with me forever, but also uh, dealing with, and i got a lot of friends out there and people that have dealt with it, and guess what helps it? Music. So back into the podcast, back into music, that's what's important. This episode, we had Connor Murphy of Foxing and Smidley, an amazing soul, took time out to uh, speak with us about Foxing and also his new side project, Smidley, which will make its way into the top 10 of my top 10 of 2017 thanks for listening thank you for supporting from the site bearing with the lapses when life gets in the way these episodes will never stop until we're interviewed everyone about this special genre we all love so here we are episode 103 of the washed up email podcast with connor murphy of foxing and smidley How are you? I mean, I'm pretty good. I'm crazy right now. But I'm excited to talk to you. My first stuff was all from my parents, like my whole family, uh, who I still just respect the shit out of their music taste. Uh, my parents and my brother and sister, uh, like every one of them has uh, like a totally different set of 
uh, bands that they love. But like all of this collectively, like, I mean, collectively they make up my favorite bands, but like, uh, I, I have no original bands that I actually, <laughs> I feel like that I like that they don't. Um, but like, so, so my sister was really into like, uh, Nirvana and like modest mouse and the pixies, uh, She's five years older than me. My brother is 10 years older than me. And he was like a giant Weezer, Weird Al, uh, uh, replacements, uh, the, the rentals, like, you know, uh, much more like, I don't know, like Devo and shit. He's, uh, he's definitely, uh, like me, my sister has like kind of a diluted version of what he loves. And I have an even more like watered down version of what both of them love. I fucking love the way uh, our, our, like, lineage goes. Because uh, it's, like, you know, even, like, um, <laughs> like my brother is, like, obsessed with Nirvana, and then my sister, uh, like, loved Nirvana and, like, uh, sort of liked Foo Fighters. And then I just love Foo Fighters. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, a weird uh, degradation in music that <laughs> trickles down to me first baseline first like musical like rock musical thing that i've ever learned was uh the baseline of cannonball by the breeders did you start playing bass because your sister did oh totally 100 percent. she played bass because my brother did <laughs> wait a minute you guys have three bass players in your family that's amazing oh, yeah. well so <laughs> here's how it worked my brother it's like everything comes from him he set the pace 100 percent with everything <laughs> uh so my brother played trombone uh from from eight years old until senior year of high school. Uh, and then when he was in high school, started a band, uh, this fucking kick-ass band that just sounded like, uh, I don't know, it sounded like a, a, a better like green album of Razor. It was like so good. Uh, and then uh, my sister played um, uh, clarinet, from eight years old because my brother played trombone and she stuck with it until, uh, like, you know, junior year of high school or, uh, she might've dropped it before then, but, uh, started playing bass because he started playing bass. Then I did the same thing. I started playing trumpet when I was eight, uh, went through high school and everything. And then the whole time was, uh, also learning bass. So it's like, I did all of it because my sister did it all. She totally did it all because my brother did it all. But that's like, like I said, I, I, uh, my whole life, I just, I feel like I don't have like original thoughts or like <laughs> motives on anything I do. Uh, but I actually really love that because it's like, I kind of feel like everything I do is like, just because it's either what my brother and sister have done or what I think they might do. There was a, there was an openness to share what they were doing with you and as the youngest you know kind of getting to have it all oh 100 percent. beyond music like tv and movies and stuff like that's it's just everything i like is just what they liked when i did this um this midley project i like every single song is basically like an attempt to get them to like the songs uh because like with foxing you know i'm i'm not calling shots on anything we do with foxing it's like a complete group decision um, which I think makes it unique because it's so democratic. Uh, but with the Smidley thing, it was just like, okay, what I've always wanted to do 
is just make these songs that Ryan and Kara, those are their names, uh, Ryan and Kara will listen to and like be into. Um, and so, uh, that's why I named it Smidley. That's the name of our dog, our family dog that died. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and it's like, it, it worked. That was the coolest thing. Uh, my brother put out a split with me. Uh, that was the first release for Smidley. What what sounds or what things were clicking and being like, I have fucking 10 more songs in my head right now? I have the, I don't know, unlimited amount of those types of songs in my head. And it's because I just don't, we don't play anything like that for Foxing. It's like, we, our goal with Foxing stuff is always to like innovate something to like you know make a song that doesn't sound like any other song uh that's always our number one goal uh same with like lyric stuff it's like you know impossible to make something that's not inspired by other things but we always try to like call ourselves out when we sound when we're sounding too much like another band um but with this band with the smidley stuff it was like 100 percent just like i just want to play the songs that like i listen to you know like uh, like Pinkerton. Like I just want to play songs like that, or uh, like Doolittle. I've listened to the record a shitload. I hear a couple things that you might be like, "That's crazy," but I hear Band of Horses a lot. Oh, crazy! You know what is weird about that? I, uh, there's the last song on the album. Every uh, everybody in the live Smithley band makes fun of me uh, because it sounds like exactly like the chord structure to. Uh, <laughs> That, the funeral song which is fine that's fine to do yeah totally i, I love, love that song of horses. they're great when i was listening to it i was like this is totally you being in complete control and having no one else tell you yes or no <laughs> that's oh 100 percent. that's exactly what it is i mean it's like um i mean like lyrically like that's the the most like that um i just you know, with, with Foxing stuff, we, we write collectively with lyrics, uh, like me and Josh, write uh, have written the lyrics for our first two records. Um, and then on this new album, we're doing it even more so collectively, uh, like today, even we were working on songs and we're just all sitting down and tearing our hair out, trying to figure out things <laughs> very much like some kind of monster. Yep. Uh, if you've seen that. Yes, I have. Very much like that. <laughs> we were making fun of Eric because uh, Eric brought up a, a line and we said, my lifestyle determines my death style. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we, so we, that's what we're doing on this one. But like lyrically for the Smidley stuff, I like the first time that I felt like I could really write about like even drugs mm-hmm. for the first time, like, which is, you know, weird to want to write about drugs, I guess. I'm not like a, I'm not in super into drugs, but I, it's been a much, uh, it's been enough of a part of my life where it was like, okay, it's time to kind of write about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and like, and instrumentally, like I, I try, we do it with boxing, but like, uh, Bowie did uh, an interview where he's talking about the pixies and how awesome they are. And, um, he is, you know, the entire reason why that band is incredible is because, uh, their louds are so fucking loud and the softs are so, so, so soft. Like they just like this insane shift in dynamics all the time. And, uh, 
and that's always stuck with me really hard. Like I saw that when I was probably like, you know, 15 and I'm just always like, that's, you gotta do that. Uh, but this is the first time that I was making songs that were like straight up, like, you know, the same instruments that the Pixies are using, like guitars and a bass and drums, uh, and vocals where it's like, okay, let's actually do that. So to me, like under the table is like, a pixie song even though that doesn't make any sense being able to do that and have that freedom was there any like nervousness of like oh shit it's just me yeah totally i mean every uh, every band that i've played in there's this uh, thing where it's like everybody's got to be doing something all the time uh like it's weird to not have a part for a section of a song uh especially if that part is longer than like, you know, 30 seconds long. Um, and I think with this, it was like, I'm the only one that needs to actually make a part here. So for a song, like it doesn't tear me up. It was like, uh, you know, I added a bunch of other shit to it. And then everything that I added, I was just like, none of this is actually accomplishing anything. Like the only thing that actually matters here is like, you know, the guitar and the, the vocal part. Uh, but that's something that I don't think like we would ever do for like foxing. Um, like we would never have an acoustic and vocal song. Um, just because it's kind of like, I think as a band, we would look at that and say like, well, what, like, how are we like pushing something here? There's not like, you know, uh, I just don't think we would trust ourselves enough to do something like that. Um, which I think is a good thing for foxing. It's like, I don't think, uh, that's like putting all your eggs in one basket for us. Um, but for me personally, it's just kind of like, yeah, that just makes sense. There should be one or two songs like that. Like that milkshake song, uh, is another one that's just guitar and vocals. And then eventually like a Mellotron. When did you have the time to do this? It was, um, it was over the course of like, uh, a year or so. Um, but what would happen is like every, every one of those songs, I'm going to eventually uh, release the demo versions of all of them. Uh, and they're very, very similar. They're, you know, horribly recorded, uh, but that's just because it's me recording it. Um, but they're very, very similar to like the, the final thing. Um, and they would all pretty much be done in like a day. Uh, like each song. And it's because like when nobody is telling me that's cool or that's bad, it's just kind of like I record the thing and then that's, that's just the part forever. Like that just, there's no reason to change it. I don't think I edited any of these lyrics more than like twice. Wow. Uh, yeah. And like, uh, and granted, like they're not great lyrics and I, I, I think of this record as like not a remarkable record in any way. Um, I, but I, I do, it is a record that I, I like to listen to. Uh, and I, I like the song so much. And I think that's like, that's been like the running goal with the entire project is like not to overthink anything at all. And just to totally like do it based on, uh, what I actually like to listen to and, uh, and to impress and your brother and, and sister. Exactly. And so most of all, impress <laughs> my brother and sister. Just kidding. 
No, that's that's it. I mean, like that's one hundred percent it. Like uh, when I when we go and play these songs live, it's like um, uh, I remember listening to uh, uh, Jefferson Airplane uh, with my whole family, and everybody's just like, "This is the greatest music," and that's exactly the reason why we have uh, uh, Lena, our uh, the singer, the other singer in in Smidley. Uh, she isn't, she, there's no, she didn't record on the records at all, but like live, we're both going to be singing. Uh, and it's just because of Jefferson airplane, uh, cause they p- played like Altamont with, uh, two singers, the entire reason for it. And it's because it'll be fun, you know? And you collaborated with a few folks. Um, one of the guys from Dr. Dog, a band from Tiger Straw and Cam. What individually did they bring? What songs did they work on? How? What was that feeling of bringing someone into your circle and your your songs and having their input? Those are like my favorite people that I've met while touring. Um, and when I contacted all of them, uh, I was like, I'm going to be in Philly. I'm making this record. Here it is. I sent them all the demos. And I was just like, you know, if you want to play on one of these or all of these, just let me know. Um, it would be awesome to just hang out. And, uh, even if you don't want to play on anything, I would love to see you while I'm in Philly. And, um, so from them, it was like, uh, Eric, uh, Slick from, uh, Dr. Dog in Lithuania. He, uh, immediately was just like, anything you want. I, I got you on it. Uh, so I asked him to play drums, which he's the greatest drummer, uh, you'll, you'll ever see. He just, like he played in the Adrian Ballou trio and like, I don't know, he's just, he's incredible. Um, and you wouldn't even realize it from uh, the record because it's like, you know, he's playing my drum part. He's not really playing like peak, peak Eric Slick. Uh, but he, uh, he just brought so much to this. It's like any time I would say, um, I mean, the first thing is like, he just ran through everything within a day. Like he only took one day to do all the drums for it. And it was like, uh, it's not like he was working on the songs tirelessly before he just kind of like picked them all up. Um, and anytime I would just say something like, uh, in the end here, can you just go a little wild? Like, uh, just throw in a bunch of fills. He would do something that would just like blow my mind to the point where I would change uh, like a bass line around it or a guitar part around it. And it's, Cause it's just like, he's uh, an, like an endless well of uh, just like incredible rhythm uh, and just like it, total like innovation in, in drums, which is weird. It's like, you don't really think about that too much until you uh, encounter like a really great drummer. Which I feel the same exact way about John and Foxing. Like he does the exact same thing. Uh, but yeah, Eric was it's the backbone of the entire record. Um, Joe Reinhardt, who uh, produced the record, played guitar on most of it. Um, he just like retracked all of my guitar, and uh, and man, he is such an incredible guitarist. Uh, and. I, his production is also just like I've said it to him many like many times and I've said it to other people it was the best two weeks of my entire life as far as like music goes like better than any 
better than any tour or any writing or any recording. It was just like every day was just like I was excited to wake up and start working on it again, which is the first time that's ever happened to me. Um, he's just he's he's one of the best people I've ever met, and uh, and just puts in the work, and but also doesn't stress anyone out. I'm a very anxious, stressed out person all the time. And, uh, and he is just absolutely like the best person I could ever work with because he is, he's like a surfer, uh, like an actual surfer. And he acts like it is just, uh, very laid back, but has just so many ideas. Uh, and he's just so, he's so relaxed about everything that he does. Like he'll, he'll throw in like the greatest idea for, uh, like a, a guitar part in a song uh, and act like it's no big deal and just be like, I don't know if you'd like it, here it is. And be like, perfect, man. That's amazing. <laughs> but he has no attachment to his brilliant ideas, which is so awesome because I could just say like, I don't really like that. And he'd be like, cool, I'll try this one. How about mm-hmm. this? Um, ben probably worked uh, more than anyone else from uh, Ben's, uh, from uh, Tiger's Jaw. Um, he uh, only played the guitar, the lead guitar and solo for uh, Dead Retrievers. Um, but he sent me like drafts of it and uh, was just working on it like for weeks before it, uh, totally prepared, which I don't even think he really had to. Uh, he's a good enough guitarist to just come in and just riff. But, uh, but yeah, he prepared so much for it. Um, uh, Dominic Angelella, uh, is one of uh, the most talented multi-instrumentalists I've ever met. Um, he plays in, uh, Me Without You, plays bass in that, but he's also, uh, recorded, um, on like a Kendrick Lamar song and produced for like Lil B and, uh, yeah. And he plays in Lithuania. Um, he's also got a solo record that's just astounding um and he so he played uh lead on uh fuck this and um just uh all i said to him was i uh wanted the lead guitar to sound like dinosaur jr and uh he straight up played (laughs) like uh just like the most dinosaur jr guitar part of all time it was just like perfect like not you know not a rip off or anything, but like totally exactly what I wanted it to sound like. Oh, and then Cam played uh, uh, saxophone on uh, "Fuck This," um, and that was just like uh, he was just like soloing around on his stuff. Uh, we got uh, I brought my friend uh, John uh, Heredia who plays in the live Smith band uh, with me, and he brought like just this giant jar of uh, like cannabis coconut oil um, that he made. Wow. And so he just was his like job during the whole thing was to basically just try to get, this wasn't a job I gave him, but it was an attempt to get like everybody that entered that room, like extremely uh, <laughs> like uncomfortably high. And that's <laughs> I think exactly how it went down with Cam. Uh, Cam was just, you know, uh, like blazed out of his mind, just like riffing on sax and then stumbled upon this part 
that sounded exactly like uh, Soul Man. Um, you know, like in Soul Man, where it's like, I'm a soul man. It's like that. Uh, and I just like, I just uh, played it back to him on piano. Uh, and we just like came up with the part. And if you listen to it, it's like, totally not like a soul song at all but like that little thing if you took it out of context is like the most uh like 70s soul james brown part of all time it's awesome blazed soul blazed soul that's you should be, that that, is, uh, that should be your t-shirt yes that should actually have been the album name i, <laughs> I just couldn't think of anything so we went with self-titled if if you want to tell Fred to change it, we can uh, we can affect uh... Blaze Soul. <laughs> it's really good, Fred. Look, I know it's coming out in a couple of weeks, but I was talking to Tom and <laughs> we oh, figured it man. out. How did I'm you? Sure he'd be excited. Um, oh, I'm sure he would love that he, I introduced <laughs> or he, we introduced each other. Uh, when did you? When did you um, realize that? Uh, you could sing or that it was something you like to do and you were comfortable doing it? Three, di- three very, very different times. Uh, like spread out between years for sure. Like uh, first time I realized I, I maybe could sing was uh, from me and Eric from uh, Foxing, who I, I didn't say before, but Eric is... Uh, giant part of my my music taste too like uh he's a year older than me and has always felt like he's 20 years older than me uh and a lot like he's a lot like my older brother uh in the sense that i you know look up to him and uh want him to like what i make um so we had this song and it was like a finished song uh, this is like, he was 13 at this time. And even then he was writing like full songs, um, uh, like composed for like guitar, uh, and bass and drums. He would write them all on like guitar pro. He's, he's always just been, this is why I've always looked up to him because he's always just been like, uh, this really, really developed, uh, writer for everything. Um, to the point where he like doesn't leave that much for you to need to do with a song. Like he'll write an entire part for you. And then it's just up to you to kind of like, you know, make it your own. Um, and he still does that with Foxing. It's like, you know, all of our music is basically just, uh, like Eric's kind of, uh, just mind at work. Um, but anyway, in that band, uh, we all realized, okay, the song is done and it's, it sounds great, uh, but we need one of us needs to sing. And for that matter, like one of us needs to sing in this band in general. Uh, so we each, um, we, uh, we decided all of us would like go to different like parts of the house, I think. Or maybe it was like we all went home and then came back the next day. Uh, and like everybody writes their own lyrics and everybody attempts to sing, even if you like, know you suck like I did. Uh, so everybody did that. And then we listened back to all of them. And mine was honestly just like the least bad. It was just like the least horrible one out of them. (laughs) And we all, 
we all, I think we all said it out loud. Like, all right, well, Connor's like sucked the least. So let's, let's go with this one. It's, uh, you know, pretty rough. The lyrics were hard to fucking swallow. They were like, they were about like global warming, but from like a 12 year old's perspective, uh, like I was, uh, like the most surface level, like inconvenient truth had recently come out. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, this is, I know all about this shit. I don't even think I'd seen the movie. Um, of course not. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Why would I? Uh, so that's where it went. And from there it was just kind of like, they, all it was, was I would write the most cryptic lyrics I could possibly write. Like I would have an idea in mind, but then I would try as hard as I possibly could to just like make them impossible to understand. Uh, like use bad grammar or um, just like metaphors on top of metaphors replaced by like a metaphor that just didn't exist in the first place. And it was because they all would make fun of the weirds no matter what. So I just didn't want them to make fun of like, and they would make fun of my voice. And I just didn't want them to like criticize something I actually cared about. So it would be like, you know, uh, like one of the songs that we wrote back then was about like my friend that died, uh, like when I was, uh, like 11 and, uh, and I knew they would still make fun of it. Like, <laughs> like they, it would still be something where they're like mocking my voice or something. So it's just like, not even, there's no way you could possibly understand what it's about. Um, so I did that for a long time. And even like the first year or two of foxing, I was still doing that. Um, but that was the first time with foxing, at least that I started to actually like the way I was singing and like the lyrics I was writing. Um, and I think that was mostly because it was the, also the first time that I, I sang without a bass, uh, which was like a huge thing. I felt so uncomfortable. Yeah, you just—it's uh, just you. There's no, there's nothing for you to kind of hide behind. Even though it's only a piece of wood, it, that's plenty. <laughs> I the reason why I started playing trumpet in boxing was because it was like I told them like guys like I need something to hold or I will start crying on stage. Like I'm not, I just cannot like dance or move around or anything like that is you're asking way too much for me to try to do that. Um, and, uh, and like, and that's what I did. I just held a trumpet, uh, while we would play our shows, um, for like our, our first few shows and our first tour, uh, until the point where I started, like, I, then I started picking up the trumpet from the case and just like, uh, holding the mic, like, you know, uh, like Matt Berninger or something, uh, and then eventually I would start taking the mic off of the stand. Uh, and it was like getting a little bit more comfortable with kind of like, I would just, you know, uh, have my back to an audience, but I would have the mic off the stand and be like screaming into it, like hunched over. Uh, and then eventually like slowly, I just started to like kind of turn around a little bit more. And then when people started knowing our lyrics, it was like, okay, well now this is the point where I am 100% comfortable with like, uh, with, you know, singing and the words I'm writing because people are like not only hearing the songs, but they're also like memorizing them. So there's no re like, I still don't think I have a great voice, but these people, they're like, I should trust that these people wouldn't 
be doing this just to make fun of me, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that took a long time. Oh, totally. I mean, like, uh, like a little under 10 years probably of wow. like singing in bands. And I would always just do it. But like, I, I just always fucking hated it. I just couldn't, I could not stand to sing in front of people. It just made me so upset. And so it took, I mean, for you to have that moment where you're like, holy shit, people are singing Rory back at me, you know, yeah. or that's, that's probably fucking blew your mind. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was, uh, it wasn't until after like our first two tours, cause we, we toured, uh, without an album, um, like, you know, full on kind of like, uh, I don't know, like four week three or four week tours uh, before we like actually put out our record with kind of lucky stars. Um, and until then it was like, you know, we had like a, an EP before, but like uh, people didn't give a shit about it. Nobody knew them. Uh, and that especially, like, that's the most embarrassing thing in the universe. to like, you know, try to play these songs in like different cities, like, you don't even get to go home afterwards. Like after you get embarrassed that hard, uh, you know, in front of like maybe like five people that are like just talking to each other, drinking a beer in the corner or something like, uh, that, I mean like that broke me down. There's a lot of times on those first tours where I was just like, I got, I have to give up on this. Like, this is stupid. Uh, but yeah, that's the first couple tours after kind of your lucky stars, uh, put out the record. It was just like, fuck the first time you know like people would come up to us after sets and be like hey that was cool but that was the first time that during a show i would you know look out and people were singing along or like crying that was like the most insane thing in the world to me like our first tours uh after the record came out it would be like i would be singing to somebody that was like crying and it's just like that's that's so amazing like i just i don't know we kind of make fun of it now. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, the fact that like, uh, I think a lot of kids are kind of like, um, they go to a show and they'll like tweet something like, Oh my God, I'm going to go and cry at the, the brand new show or something or, you know, whatever. Uh, but really like the first time you see somebody like crying, uh, while you're like playing a song is just like so fucking cool. That's like, you know, it, it feels weird to say it out loud, but you're like, God damn, like that, you know, it's like you, you made something that somebody gives a shit about enough to like shed tears. That's, that's awesome. And that's not a funny thing. And I, I think, you know, this obviously I didn't bring up the word emo, but the, the, the site, the, the website and the podcast is called that. I, I attribute that to more of like this euphoric moment of your enjoying it so much that it's it's bringing you to tears and it's not 100 percent. and it's not this like yeah. I mean, there was a moment where i had to wait in line two hours in like negative 10 degrees at, and i saw jimmy Eat world play cbgb's and when i got in they were in like the epic part of for me this is heaven and all i God did damn. i just started like i like lost it but i was like it's 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 the experience, it's the sound, it's the memories, it's all those things. Like, And for someone to do that for you guys, and I think there's this joke of sort of 
you know, oh, it's, you know, a bunch of emo kids and they're all going to cry. It's like, no, no, it's actually not just like this, like outwardly. It's more personal. Like, it's not yeah. like, it's not like I tweeted or I didn't even have Twitter back then. But if I did, I'm not going to tweet that. It's like, no, that was between me and the band. And I felt something. And that kid felt something with your band and you, your lyrics. And maybe that helped him that day. And so it's not a sad or a negative thing. It's 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 it's. I think it's happy, and I don't know if you agree or not, totally. but I feel like that's, it's not a sad, oh, it's not, emo is not sad. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I, I think that, uh, like, for instance, I mean, my, my favorite, the greatest show I've ever been to my entire life was, um, I was like this, I was a giant fan of Broken Social Scene. Uh, nice. When I was a kid, still, still am, still, like, my, there's, like, uh, drum parts on the Smidley record that are, 100% lifted from uh, songs on You Forgotten People. Um, we, we will let them know. But <laughs> What's that? I said we're going to let them know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to let them know? I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm telling them I'm going to tell oh. the band. <laughs> oh, like you're going to tell on me? Yeah, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Yeah, good, good luck. <laughs> good luck tracking them down. I know. Letting them know that shit. They, uh, well, they, so they were this like... You know, the, to me, like the greatest man of all time, like the coolest people ever. I was like, you know, you know, Lou Reed and uh, David Bowie can all, you know, go fuck themselves. Like broken social scene is like, you know, the birth of cool. Like these are the coolest people that have ever existed. Um, but I never saw them live. Still have never seen them live. Um, but they, do you know the band Do Make Say Think? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So they were coming through town. And um, playing a free show at uh, uh, St. Louis University. And um, I had never heard them before. Uh, but Eric was like, hey, uh, uh, this band do make say things coming through. Um, Charles Spearin from Broken Social Scene is in the band. And, uh, and I was just like, cool. And we got there. Uh, and I remember even that, like, even when we were at the show, I'd still, I had never heard them. And I saw Charles Spearin uh, walking around, and I was just like, oh, I bet he sings in this band. That'll be so cool. And then Eric's like, no, they're an instrumental band. <laughs> I just, I, I <laughs> almost left the show because I was like, I just don't care uh, to see this at all. But it ended up being the greatest show I've ever seen in my entire life. And it is one of, uh, I would three times that I've ever cried at a concert. The other two being like the Pixies and Seagaros. Uh, and it, I just, the reason why I was crying was not at all because they were playing like a sad song or anything. It was because they had such a, uh, like enveloping sound and such a, such like restraint that like, when they busted into the song, the universe, um, like the second song on, uh, 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 you, your history and rust. Um, when they busted into that song, it was after like probably 10 minutes of like the quietest sounds in the world. Um, and they were even like shaking keys around into a microphone. Uh, and they busted into that song and I just like started weeping. I was like, I've never heard this before, but this is like the greatest sound I, I could ever imagine. Uh, and that stuck with me forever. Like that's, 
and so when I see people that uh, like cry during a show um, or tell me after a show that they were like, you know, oh, you know, cried during this song, I part of me is just kind of like, oh, okay, cool, like you know, uh, so something to tweet about uh, for you. But um, but then this other part of me is just like, no, you know what? You just had because it's usually like a you know pretty much a child like a a twelve year old kid. But I'm like, I was like thirteen or fourteen when I saw that happen, and it was like the most impactful thing that has ever happened to me with music. It was just like, you know, like completely changed the way I thought about music. And so I think when I see people do that, even if that's not having the same effect at all, I'm just like. In my head, I'm like, this could be doing something for you that changes your life. And that, even if it, just the chance that it could, makes this entire thing, the, you know, all of the bullshit and all of the touring relentlessly and the, you know, no money at home, like all of that stuff, the relationships that end because of these tours, like, makes all of that shit worth it. Because it's just like, you, I, this could have maybe changed your life. I don't know. I think that's really important that you said that because what if uh, that show you pointed at him and, and made fun of him? Or I'm not saying you, but maybe something happened that that negative effect of the show, a scene, um, maybe he was going to be in a band. I mean, that sort of staying positive and that sort of understanding a scene and understanding what, you, what you're doing. You know, you're part of something. And... There's sometimes, you know, you go to shows and it's like maybe their first show and they're not maybe sure of what's going on or um, what things to do. And when you've someone's that comfortable to be able to do that at your show is is, is a great feeling. And I hope it happens more. Um, but it's that whole I guess that misnomer of like, oh, someone's crying at a show and Entertainment Weekly's response is um, that's an emo kid crying when it's actually that's th- nothing to do with it. It's it's just it's just about the music, not anything else. Totally, it's like if you if you don't do make say thing an emo band, like fuck you. Yeah, that's crazy. But you know what I mean, like overall, like anything like that, like anytime someone's like crying, it's like oh they're emo or the fucking Kylo Ren from Star Wars, just because he's a little sad (laughs) in the movie. It's like no, he's not. (laughs) There's nothing to do with it. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of it's it's weird. Like I don't know. I mean, like you have, uh, you, you have just completely owned it. And I think we've talked about this before, but like you, your podcast and your website is called washed up emo. It's like, you are just dead spitting in the face of anyone that would ever say something like that. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a joke. It's like, you're washed up. Like yeah, it's kind totally. of, like, it's, but it's like, it's kind of like endearing too. It's like, you know, it's okay. You're a little older. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Well, like, I think I can't. I I am not. How old are you now? I am thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. I am too young to accept like the emo stuff, like accept the the labeling of it all. Yeah. And it's and I'm too young for a lot of shit that I I you know I I always like to try to. I want to be my my dream since I was like a, a baby. I feel like is to be like five years older than I actually am. Uh, <laughs> I'm like constantly in a state of like, like right now I'm just like, man, thirty. That's the year for me. 
<laughs> and when I was a little kid, I was like, 21, that's the year for me. Uh, the thing, though, is that I just don't uh, – I'm just too – I'm too uh, naive to realize actually that, like, the emo stuff is just, like – like, all the labeling of it is just, like, a phase of society that passes just as soon as, you know, all the other ones have. Like – it's, I, you know, I've, I've watched it happen so many times before, even like a different form of emo mm-hmm. emo used to mean something else. Emo used to mean cutting your wrist, uh, or like, uh, or having like swoopy hair. Yep. Um, or like basically like, you know, like South Park's got the whole like goth and emo thing. Like, uh, it used to be that. And like, now it's like a different thing. It's kind of like how we, how I at least used to think of like indie rock kids. Uh, and like, I think the two have just kind of like melded into this weird thing. Um, but I'm still like, when somebody will say like, uh, like you're, you're my favorite emo band. Uh, I'm just like, well, fuck, I wish you would just say you're, we're your favorite indie rock band or just your favorite band in general or something. Like, I just wish you wouldn't say emo. Um, and I think that's so weird. Like, I, I just... I don't know why I care so much. Yeah, the word is 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 always hated unless you're making thousands of dollars DJing around the country. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like that's the only time that you actually like the word. No one's ever liked the word. Everyone I've interviewed has and <laughs> has said no. They fucking. I mean, even Ian Mackay fucking hates the word. So everybody across the board does. I think it's. I think, you know, some people, you know, bands maybe, then I was going to ask you, like, were you bummed that I was like supporting you? Because sometimes it leads people down a certain path, but also what was happening at that time. And I wanted to hear, like, there was so much good music. And the thing is like, you guys could have fit in 96 and you could have fit in 1990 uh, or 89, like the aesthetic and the, the way that you were projecting the sound was so honest. And that's what I connect mm-hmm. with. That's what I think. When I first saw you guys, whatever that show was we were talking about earlier, it was just like, this is coming out so clean and honest. It's no preconceived, there was no like, we're going to fucking do this breakdown right here. It's like, yes, I know bands can do that and be formulaic, but I like it when it's raw. I like it when there's this feeling to it, this gut. And that's what I heard from you guys. And that reminded me of seeing the Get Up Kids for the first time or seeing... Um, sure. you know mogwai or whatever it is like yeah totally so you guys i mean did you guys be like fuck they think we're an emo band <laughs> no because well, so what, i mean the whole way that it all happened was like yeah we were just straight up just trying to make good songs so like in our opinion and uh the very first songs we made um we were just like super into it. our our initial thing that we said with the band uh, was that we wanted it to be folk music with Aphex Twin drums. That was always the number one thing we were trying to make. Um, and uh, when we started making the songs, that's what we thought we were doing. And we thought we were emulating, uh, you know, uh, Aphex Twin or like Mogwai or, uh, I don't know, like Cigarose. Uh, uh, like name, name any post-rock band. That's what we were trying to sound like mixed with, uh, 
you know, I don't know. Like, I think the the biggest thing is like uh, that made it actually like end up being emo is that we all like Death Cab for Cutie, um, <laughs> and I think like that we didn't realize that like what we were making was actually fitting into this like yeah the, like emo world um, that was happening at that moment. Yeah, and we had no idea because also we weren't going out of town. We weren't you know paying attention to count your lucky stars or anything like that. Uh, and we were, um, I, I think once we started, uh, touring, uh, the way that we did it was, and this is just like, I, this is the advice that I've always given to every, uh, kid that's ever asked me how to like start, uh, being in a band or, you know, like trying to gain any kind of success in music is that, we would host bands at our houses um, and we would just, you know, like any, any touring bands, no matter who it was, if we liked the music at all, we would ask them if they wanted to stay at our house uh, and like cook some food, and get them beer and stuff. Um, and, uh, and those are the bands that we would ask favors from whenever we were trying to book our first tour. Uh, so like uh, some of those bands were like, you blew it. Uh, Joie de Vie, uh, Empire Empire, um, uh, who else? Uh, You'll Live, who uh, I don't think they're still making music. Uh, Tiny Moving Parts was one of them. Uh, There's just these bands that we were just like, you know, we get to know them really well. Prawn was another band. Um, We get to know them really well, and then when we were going out on our first few tours, we would just hit all those people up and say, hey, we want to come to uh, Fargo. <laughs> and like, moving parts, will you play with us? Or can we stay at your house at least? Uh, and they would all say, yeah. And then um, we ended up playing shows with Joie de Vie and Empire Empire. And that's, Keith was like, took a liking to it and just was just like, hey, I'll put out this record if you guys are down with it. And we're like, yes, 100%. Um, so that's, that's how it happens. And like, because of that, and again, no idea that we sounded anything like these other bands. We just, this is all just music to us. Uh, there's like no business side of any of it. It's just like complete DIY fuckery. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden we're on a record label with all these bands that are like undeniably emo music. Um, and like one of our first tours was with, uh, like first like actual tours was with uh, Warren Franklin uh just uh again undeniably emo musician he's been sending um, me uh music recently how is it how is it i like it i like it he's like asking me my opinion and it's been it's it's been really sweet i've actually loved that he sort of brought me into the process of him making a record he's he's a great guy uh and uh and we played us his backing band on that tour oh no way yeah, funny story about that tour, actually. So it was, it was us and Warren Franklin um, and football, et cetera. And, uh, and so we would play as Warren's backing band, and he rode in our, our real shitty band, our first tour band. Um, so he rode with us, and we would play these basements and um, play two shows every night. Uh, you know, horrible, horrible shows. Uh, that would just, you know, just exhaust 
experiences. Uh, and uh, at the end of the night, each time uh, they would, you know, have their like uh, their hat with the money and come up to us and uh, they'd be like, okay, so uh, let's see, you guys uh, are in all in one van, right? And we we're like, yeah. They're like, okay, so uh, we'll just pay you as one then. Oh um, my God. And then we'll pay football, et cetera, and like the other bands on this show uh, as one as well, like, uh, like uh, as their own, like as separate people. But you guys are sharing a van, so the gas money all gets spent on the same thing. Uh, and we were just like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's just the way it goes. But it was like, why are we fucking doing this? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's not like these are good shows, like good, good exposure or anything. Uh, and that our van that we were in on that tour broke down so hard and we had to spend, uh, like $500 on it. And we all, we didn't have enough money at all. I think we might've had like a hundred dollars uh, that we had like made from the tour. Uh, so we all had to like contact our parents and girlfriends, um, and just be like, Hey, is there any way you could spot me like 50 bucks or, uh, you know, hundred bucks. Could I, could I pay you back? Like when I get home and work a couple of weeks at, you know, whatever job I'm at. Uh, and that's how we paid for it. It was just like, it was a disaster. Uh, but those are like the first, you know, those were just like our tours. Uh, we had no idea that they were like, these are emo tours and you are an emo band. We were still like, we're a folk band that plays Aphex Twin Drums. How does everybody, like you said, Tiny Moving Parts, You Blew It, Prawn, how, when you guys talk amongst yourselves, how, what do you say? Like, are you like, this is great that we've got like sort of a built in, you know, there's people that pay attention to us, but also, uh, I don't know. I always joke like th- there was a band I worked on when I worked at Equal Vision Records. Everyone thought everything we put out was a hardcore record. And we put out this band called The Snake the Cross the Crown, which is their their second record is one of my favorite records of all time. It's like it sounds like Wilco. And so but they but again, they are not like, you know, the, the they would get booked on hardcore tours and like these like, you know, punk tours. And it was just like, you could, I mean, it, it, I think they were starting to turn right before they broke up. Um, but those things, you know, sometimes when you get stuck in that, if it's a hardcore world or whatever it is, it's like you wish you were on sub pop or you were on, you know, merge or something. And it's, it's just that scene that you guys were in was happening. And there was this beautiful moment. And, when you guys talk amongst yourself, are you like, fuck, I wish, you know, someone at Sub Pop heard us or something? I don't know. Well, I, no. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. I, I mean that in like a joking way. 100%. I wish that somebody from Sub Pop would just talk to me. Uh, just, I wish that I just, uh, I could just smell someone from Sub Pop. Uh, but that being said, it's like, I think, so during that time when we were doing those tours, um, the word was never emo, never at all. The word was always DIY. Um, that was the all encompassing term for genre and for scene that like, it just took over everything. It was like uh, tiny moving parts, prawn, foxing, calculator, uh, uh, jowls, 
uh, Empire Empire, like just like you name it, any band that we've played with on our, you know, from like 2011 to 2013, those were all just DIY bands. And that was the DIY community, um, you know, nationwide. Uh, and the whole idea of it was just to maintain a community and maintain uh, support for each other. Um, and that was it. That was just all it was. I mean, that's why, like, when we got paid a hundred bucks for two bands because we were in the same van, that's why we didn't question it. We were just like, you know, we weren't going to like try to haggle them for more money. It was just like, yeah, you did us a favor. Hopefully we, we can return it for you. Uh, and yeah, this just makes sense. It's like, we're not going to take more money because we have one van that we're in. Um, the same way that like football, et cetera, wasn't going to take more money than us, even though everybody at that show was there for them. You know, like it just all of it made sense like that. Uh, but now it is so, 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 so different uh, with all of these bands because none of us give a shit about a DIY community. And like, that sucks. And that's like, you know, that, that's a bummer. And I'm kind of trying to revisit that with the Snibley stuff, like trying to kind of get back into that. Granted, I'm, but this first tour that we're doing is with Tiger's Jaw. And that's just because I'm not going to turn down something as awesome as that. Uh, what happened? But, what happened, do you think? Is it that there was so much notice and bands were getting signed and producers were getting like, I mean, thinking of you guys. exactly what it was. Just everything was that, fucking I mean, happening. Like, yeah, well, that I mean, he nails it on the head. It's like people uh, beyond just kids in basements uh, gave a shit for the first time. For well, it, you know, for us, for the first time, this is this happens in waves all over the country with different genres uh, since you know the dawn of music. Like, uh, but for us, it's like this specific you know wave of whatever you want to call it, whether that's emo or DIY or. Uh, <laughs> Fuck, I, I don't know. Uh, whatever genre or term you want to put on it, our wave was we all helped each other out to uh, book shows in basements, in houses, in art spaces. And then eventually, um, enough kids liked it where uh, older uh, like label managers or like bigger, I shouldn't say older, I guess. <laughs> I'm only saying that because of Fred. Uh, but like larger record labels um, would start contacting us, uh, us meaning like all of those bands, um, or at least the lucky ones. Um, and then because like, you know, um, a band like Jowls, for instance, it's like, that doesn't fit. Oh, okay. Actually, best example in the universe. I can't believe I haven't said their name in this conversation yet, but the reptilian. Oh the yes. Prime example of, uh, an unlucky band, like the most unfortunate circumstance for them. Uh, and I hope if they ever hear me saying this, that they would never take it as offense because they're one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, but they are a band that, um, was so embedded into that DIY scene that you couldn't be, you couldn't listen to them. Like, I, I don't think that their music made any sense to somebody that wasn't, uh, in that scene or watching bands in basements, you know, it wouldn't make any sense to, uh, um, 
like a kid in his first year of college that like somebody just shows them in a dorm or something like it just wouldn't mean anything to them. Uh, cause a lot of their lyrics even are about like touring, uh, or like, you know, uh, hanging out with their friends in a basement or something, um, playing shows in a basement. So for them, it's like, you know, I, I always just thought like, this is the greatest band in the world. Um, but then once I started, once we started getting involved in like the business side of all this stuff, I started realizing like, where would they fit? You know, like, would they go on like, would it make sense for them to be on like death wish? No. Would it make sense for them to be on equal vision? Fuck no. Uh, run for cover. No, it's like, you name it. It's like any label that is, uh, you know, big enough to, uh, I don't know, like, uh, set them apart uh, and like put them on like an international level. Like that, they, they just wouldn't make any sense on those labels because they, they embody that DIY scene uh, more than anyone else did. So like, to me, it's like they, our music was at least like watered down with these other influences to the point where like, it made sense outside of it. Uh, like our first record, you know, like, there's not one song on that record that is like about the DIY community. They're all like relationship songs. Uh, so I think all of these bands at this point, when we all talk, it's like, there's no kind of like emo conversation or DIY conversation, unless we're talking about the past. Cause at this point now it's like, even within Foxing, like now it is, uh, our conversations are basically how do we further the career of this band to the point where we can make it our career? Like where like music is uh, our livelihood and you know, this is our form of income. This is like our entire life is uh, writing, recording and playing music. Um, And because of that, it's like, there's a lot less thought of like, how does this affect the DIY community and way more thought of like our, a target audience going to be into this or, you know, uh, go to see this live or something, you know, like that's really interesting. It's sort of taken from the collective approach to the individual. It's it being, being the band and you guys, you're totally right. It's like, I think of bands and, and they play a show and they've got seven records and they've got to, you know, play the old one for uh, me. You know, I'm 38. Uh, and then they got to play the, the, the single and they got to play the new song because someone from the radio station's there. And all these other things start happening where it seems like you guys are having these. You're right. You're not thinking about, oh, fuck, we got to we got to make everybody happy. It's like we have to continue this as a brand. Yes, 100 percent. And like. You know, you really, it feels so dirty to think of it that way. You feel like you're in like a boy band or something or like, uh, uh, I don't know, like you feel like a sellout all the time. Uh, Do you feel like there's a happy medium? Do you think there's a happy medium? Like a band that you guys can have the, you know, you can go record wherever you want and you can release what you want. It's not like, you know, Fred at Triple Crown's telling you to go back in the studio and give me another single, kid. No. Well, I think, I think, uh, I think we've found our happy medium in, uh, in our band. And I would say it's a, it's a sort of happy medium. It's like, I think 
personally, I see our band as being in between a, um, you know, like grinding, uh, touring DIY band, uh, between that and like, um, maybe like a college radio friendly or, um, uh, I don't know, like, a, a songs that could be put into, uh, like a, a, a commercial or something like a, com- some kind of commercial band. I think we're somewhere in between there leaning a lot more towards, uh, like the, you know, DIY touring bands. Um, and that's just like, that's just how it is. We're just, uh, we make enough money at these shows because we do them constantly. And every time we play them, they get a little bit bigger. It is so, so minute, but every single show gets a little bit bigger in each city. Um, and sometimes they get smaller. <laughs> the worst times are when they get uh, smaller. But um, like for us, it's like because of that, uh, we can make enough money um, because these are, you know, like door deals or like, um, you know, uh, uh, you're selling merch for more or like, uh, the tickets are more expensive or something. It's like, you know, that business side of everything starts like raising a little bit more each time. So we're able to take home enough money to pay for like maybe two months of rent, uh, from a tour. And like, that's, you know, that's all we can ask for. Um, and I mean, that's why we're always gone because we're, you know, we can't, we can't live without the touring. Yeah, the touring, like the income from it. Um, and, you know, that's why we all lose our minds constantly over this shit. Like, we're all, I have, like, a, a special um, antidepressant that I take just for tour. Like, and it's just because we do it so much. And you're just like, there's no stability. I like the bed at night. I like, you know, being able to have that routine. And you've got a routine, but it's like you've got 45 minutes of euphoria and 23 hours and 15 <laughs> minutes of boredom. Yes. Uh, that's how I feel. I, I, uh, and it's like, for me, not even boredom most of the time. It's like, like panic. Like, uh, how come? Well, I mean, like, <clears throat> so many different things. It's like, you know, uh, your relationship, like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, if your girlfriend's depressed at home or something, or like, you know, misses you uh, too much to like handle, it's like, you can't go and just, uh, be with them. Um, or money, like, you know, you're, you're not making enough on the tour. Like you're, uh, each night, like you're playing those euphoric 45 minutes, but like you're realizing that there's only a hundred people at the show. And, uh, and even if each person there buys a t-shirt, you're still not making enough money to cover like rent. If it, if it keeps going that way, you know, like, you know, you start realizing how much you make from the number of people at a show or something like that. Uh, or like each, each t-shirt that you sell, like how much that means you actually make. Um, that's the stuff that, you know, gives me deep anxiety where it's like, man, we're not doing well enough. Like we, we need to like what are we missing here you know like and and that affects our writing a lot too like our last record um we're all proud of it for sure but uh it was definitely um a large part of like our process with it was this thing of being like uh 
we don't want to keep touring the way we have been where, you know, we go out for a month and a half and come back with enough money to pay, you know, like one month of rent, you know, and then like go and work a, a job that we absolutely hate if we even can get a job because we've been gone for a month and a half and they and know we're going to leave for another month and a half later. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's scary stuff. It's like, um, it's just like knowing that, you know, you have a business now, uh, like our band is our business and realizing that like, sometimes that business is like not doing well. And, like sometimes it's, it, you know, you're really eating shit and you're in a lot of debt. Like we're always in debt. Uh, and like, that's, that's scary. That's just like, it's a horrible feeling. Um, do you feel anything turning the corner? Do you feel any, do you feel, did you feel any moments the last time you guys were out that there was, there was some turning or was it, this feels like the same? It always feels the same. Really? Uh, That being said, it is not the same. And that's, that's why you have to, I always just have to take a step back and really look at like the big picture on these things. Like it feels like the second record we put out uh, for Foxing did not do well. Like it doesn't feel like uh, people care about it or like, um, like it, it's put us on another level. But when you take a step back from it and you look at uh, how you were doing a year ago to now, or even how you were doing five years ago, I think we've been going for about six or seven years now. Um, six years. Uh, it's like when you look at it like that, it's like, okay, we're doing okay. Like this is, you know, we're getting better each time. The, the tours are uh, getting shorter and you're making more money from them. And it's like, which means that you don't have to like kill yourself over this stuff. Uh, like for each thing that you make. So like this new record we're working on for Foxing to me is the, the best shit we've ever made because it's like, you're not, we're not stressed. trying to, yeah, we're not trying to like, I don't know, achieve some kind of like radio sensation hit of a song. We're just trying to make a, like a great album that fits in a, uh, in like a discography. Cause like, that's, I think the most important thing to me now with Foxing where on our last record, the most important thing was like making like a single or something. Uh, with this record, it's like, no, we want to make a, like the next chapter in like a discography where like, when you look at the, the sum of all of the records, it's like that fits right in there. And that was a great one. Like you definitely did not misstep with that one. Great. It's awesome. Hopefully it's the best one. And I am, I'm so proud of, of this band for, for how well we've done so far on this record. It's like, uh, we're recording it ourselves. Um, and, uh, and we're just, you know, just plugging away at it and like taking as much time as we possibly need. Uh, even like we're, we were stressing so hard about it because we're like, we need it to be out by March of 2018. That's the month that it needs to be out because uh, festivals will start booking around then. And uh, also it's like the, the, the first quarter, uh, the second, like the last part of the first quarter of the year, as far as like the business goes and everything, 
And then like all of a sudden we just like, we took a step back and looked at it and we're like, let's just not fuck with any of that. Let's finish the record when it's done and put it out, whatever that could be 2019. Who cares? Like a, a fan of this music, uh, will not give a shit when it comes out as long as it comes out the right way. You know, like I think that's just such an important thing. And I think a lot of people might just like fall off and like stop giving a shit about this band, uh, in the time that it took between our two records. Um, and that's okay too. You know, it's like, those are the things that these are all the, the reasons why we found this happy medium. Cause it's like, you know, uh, we're not doing well enough to, uh, to like not worry about money. We're li- you know, living <laughs> way, way under the poverty line for sure. Um, but it's like the happy medium is that we're, we're able to make music without stressing about, um, you know, how well the record does when it's out. It's like, as long as it is good for us, you know, we, we're okay with it being like it's something like a Pinkerton instead of a Blue Album. Like something that takes a long time for somebody to think like, okay, this actually was pretty good. And I think there needs – do you have that balance? And that's what that music you're, – you're, you're going to make the right music because of that. I think the I hope so. Well, if if you're thinking again, if you're like, all right, March 2018, and we've got this tour, and yes, I think there's ones you do that sometimes. You're like, okay, great, because of this really great opportunity, we're a band, we need to have a career, it makes sense. But in other ways, it's like if it's going to affect the output of the music and where you sit on that discography, then why then you shouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. I think we we actually had this conversation uh, a couple weeks ago where we were all really frustrated with each other. We had recently gotten back from a European tour um, that was way too fucking long um, and didn't make any money doing it. Really? Um, oh, oh no, no. Fuck. Yeah, we we ate shit on it pretty hard. I mean, you know, we made we made money doing it. We just didn't make like anything close to what we actually needed to like survive. Uh, and like everybody is getting jobs now and like, um, kind of biting the bullet on this. This is like the first time that any of us have like gone back and like, okay, I need to get a job doing deliveries or whatever. Um, and it's like, that feels pretty defeated. Like that's, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm looking pretty rough on money right now. Um, and because of that, we all take it out on each other. We take it out on our band. Um, and we were doing that a lot. Uh, and we all sat down at our practice space, which is also like our little studio. And uh, we kind of just had it out with each other. And like just, um, you know, uh, just kind of like went off on each other about the things that we were mad about. Um, but by the end of it, we realize one thing that we do just all the time is uh, we make fun of our own band and we talk about how, you know, how much it's like ruining our life uh, and how the music that we make is just like, uh, you know, mediocre bullshit. But we like, for the first time in maybe ever, we all sat down and we were like, can we just say out loud to each other 
if we believe this, we all say out loud to each other that we actually like this band and that this is fulfilling to us, you know, like that this is, uh, that we think this is good music and that we, uh, we had, this hasn't been time wasted and we were all able to do it. We were all able to like say out loud for like the first time, like, you know what? I make fun of this shit a lot, but like, I wouldn't want to be doing it any other way. Like this is, this is the, you know, this is our life. And like, if I did, if I hated it enough, I would quit. Cause it's not like I'm sticking around for the money or, or the fame or anything. It's like, I'm sticking around because this is like important to me, you know? That's amazing that you guys were able to do that. Yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, it was a super, uh, I don't know, a super important moment for all of us, I think, where it was just like, okay, this isn't all for nothing. Like we're, we're going to be okay. You know, even if we all have to have our second jobs, uh, that we, <laughs> even if we all have to like start and quit a job within a month, uh, off and on for the next years to come, like this is going to be okay. And for you guys to say that all together and not one person say no, shows a lot about you guys and how long, much you've been through and how, I mean, again, you guys believing in it and that's going to come through in the music. I hope so. I really hope so. I think it will, uh, for us at least, I hope it translates in some way because it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a weird record. the thing that we're working on right now. It's like, um, definitely if you look at that, this one versus like our first record, uh, two seemingly two different bands um and uh, but in reality it's like it's really what we needed to make to like you know uh stay sane it's like and you know that's the thing that i actually this is the um making this record is the, the first time that i've actually like uh realized that i need to give slack to bands more like bands that i love um you know like um trying to think of the best example like uh i don't know weezer's a pretty good one i'm like okay pinkerton blue album everything else is fucked like just the worst thing in the world um maybe green album is passable but like other than that everything is horrible there's like a, maybe five songs with the rest of the, the albums that i like uh but it's this is the first time that i've actually listened and been like I have to give slack to these people. Like they can't keep making the same record over and over again because they're different people than they were the first time they made it. You know, like their rivers is not the same rivers that he was when he made blue album. He's been through insane shit. And, you know, another band that like, I just absolutely will always listen to all the way through is why you listen to why, which one again? Why W H Y. Yeah, question mark. No. Tell me about them. Oh, my God. Well, okay. They will... No no fucking way after we get done on this conversation will they not be one of your favorite bands after you listen to them. I'm uh, in. I'm in. They, like, they are... Um, they just put out a new record that is fucking phenomenal. Um, but, like, they they're probably seven or eight records deep. And, um, uh, Yoni Wolf is the name of the singer. Um, he is like, 
kind of a rapper. This is going to sound, the way you describe this band will make them sound like they are fucking Limp Bizkit. But uh, they are like, um, just, uh, he's he's like a, a rapper, um, just like so, so influenced by hip hop. But he's also just like, really just like a great lyricist. A lot like um, Me Without You, like Aaron from Me Without You, just like, mm-hmm. you know, he, it's like he's got too many words to just sing them. It's like I, I've I've got too many great lyrics to like just you know only pick a few. I have to give you all of them, um, and it's just like every record that they put out will do that. Like uh, I I'll just I, I have to like you know throw on headphones and listen to the entire thing. Um, and there's only a handful of bands that I I really feel that way about. I the way that I've always thought of of foxing. Is like we are we are building our way towards being like a, a a band that somebody can look back at their discography and appreciate. Um, like uh, like my my that's that's at least like my kind of goal with what we do. Kind of like the National, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the National. Who I I just absolutely love them, but like uh, you know, their first few records were just you know, shit. Like they, nobody cared about them. They're incredible records, but like, you know, it took until, uh, that boxer record or high violet before people, before they became like the sensation that they are now. Um, and once that happened, then people had not just this new album that came out from them, but like an entire back catalog of all of these songs and all these, you know, like music videos or whatever, like all, all these things that they could like, you know, oh, I couldn't get enough of their new record. Thank God, like, there's, you know, all of these other things that I've never heard of before. And I've always kind of wanted that to be, like, where we're headed. Uh, granted, it takes us a long time to make these records, but, like, I hope by, like, maybe our, like, fourth or fifth record, if we get that far, that, um, like, some kid will hear, you know, uh, LP5, and be like, holy fuck, I love all of these songs, I need more. And they'll be, you know, like, yes, I get to go back and listen to all this other shit. This is great. Like Green Day, you know, they were on Lookout, and that was it. And then they went to a scary major label. Yeah, but then they fucking made American Idiot and reclaimed, like, a different, they had a different look, they had a different sound, and it, and it worked. It was exactly. still fucking Green Day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, uh, I've always, you know, I really want to do that with our next record, um, which is, you know, such a lame fucking thing to admit, but I want to like reinvent like the kind of look and idea of foxing just so that like a kid can be like, Oh, there's this new band foxing. Exactly. And then like, look back at our other shit and be like, Whoa, there's like eras to this stuff. Whoa, um, Tom from Washed Up Emo talked about them ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and now they're or this, like even like looking at an old one. video. Like, look at those fucking stupid glasses that he used to wear. You know, like, <laughs> like a, you know, like Bowie's got like his you know uh, his different look for every record. Like the eras of Bowie and stuff. Like, I think that there's something so cool about that. Like, you just like you should not have to look the same. No, nah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think for, for a while I had a, a, a mustache and, uh, 
and um, people uh, on like the internet, like on Tumblr and stuff, would just like talk about um, my mustache, and I was like, I guess I can't shave this thing, even though I hate it, and like people make fun of me now. Um, like I just did it because I thought it was funny at first, but now it's like I can't shave it. But then once I did, I was like, hey, you know what? Now there's like, uh, when I look back at pictures, at least for me, I can tell what. Uh, like yeah. you know, album we were touring on because if I had a mustache, that means that we were on our first album. If I didn't have a, if I don't have a mustache, we're on our second one. And hopefully, I'll have like uh, like white hair and uh, spandex suit that I wear each night or something uh, <laughs> for this record. What I want <laughs> you guys to do, and I actually tell bands that I work with now, is remember to save things and take a random you know photo and maybe throw the date you know remember the date or email it to yourself with the date every day and five years from now when we're hopefully talking or i'm seeing you at the show and there's an anniversary of some record you have something <laughs> from that time and that place yeah. for remembrance but not for just you but for you know a fan like me like oh i remember that south by show and there was this flyer whatever it was and i think that's going to be important for you guys as a as an artist as a as a as a band and it seems weird now but it's going to mean something it, it yeah of course and i think like a huge and we don't do that like ever because we're so like unhappy while we're on tour but like uh, we don't want to like take a picture of ourselves it's the most depressed we've ever been but like I think it's so important to do stuff like that There, there's always a kid at every show he plays that is like uh, asks like like how you know how do you make it uh, in music and a lot of times I'll just like ask him uh, I mean we'll, we'll just talk about the same shit that me and you are talking about now but like I'll a lot of times ask him, like, well, what do you play? Like, what's your instrument? And so many of these kids are like, I'm a guitarist and singer. I used to play uh, like clarinet when I was a little kid, though. Like, that's, that's what I started on. So that's my first instrument, but I'm getting better at guitar. I'm like, fuck guitar. Clarinet, like, you've got to play that. Yeah. That's your fucking instrument. Same thing with the, the kid crying, where it's like, you know, as cheesy as it may be, it's like, this is the stuff that makes it all worth it. Like, I, I don't know uh, if, if I would ever give a shit about any of this touring stuff uh, if I didn't have interactions like that. And I, I think that's why most bands, even if they're really great, why a lot of them end is because they don't have those connections with people that make them realize what they're doing is important. I think you guys having that argument, if you didn't have that background of what was going on and, and knowing that those things were happening, maybe that would have been a different discussion. Maybe you all had your own buses and your um, different things. And yes, different examples maybe can play. And this is just the one, but you guys having that history helps. And you know, how many bands go to Europe and break up? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I guess they can go anywhere, but Europe sometimes puts people <laughs> at their, you know, they're not in their, their home country and they're under. You know, oh yeah. It's definitely I, I mean, like, I've never felt uh, more like I was uh, doomed with music than when I've been in Europe. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful place. It's uh, just also uh, 
unforgiving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, remember when you had? Uh, well, of course you remember when the van was stolen. Um, yes. You know, obviously that's you know crazy detriment, but the amount of support that happened from it was fucking amazing. That was the worst and best day of tour. Uh, like one of the, the definitely like that was the top three worst days of tour ever, but also the same day was like at least, you know, top five uh, best days of any tour we've been on. Um, and it was because of that. It was like, yeah, like there's, uh, it was so much a lemon to lemonade situation that it, at a certain point we like, we started giving, we had to, <laughs> we had to give money to charity. It was like, we can't possibly take, like we can't possibly profit off of this. That's fucking stupid. Like that would be the scummiest thing ever. Um, and like, and but beyond that, it was like you know, like uh, these uh, people were like coming out of the woodwork to say like, "Hey, I heard about this because so many people shared it to me, but I have no idea who you are." Uh, I wasn't like. I didn't care, but then like, uh, but then I started listening to their music and we like it. And it's just like, holy fuck. Like that, that is so, so cool. Like there's, there's nothing cooler than that to, uh, to be so, I don't know, to be so hopeless in a moment where it's like so hopeless in, in humanity in general to say like, uh, somebody could not just, you know, steal something. Cause like, of course you, you understand how somebody could steal something from you, but like to, to systematically like follow you, uh, to the place that you're staying, uh, and like bring the necessary tools to detach your trailer and like have another car ready to go to like haul it away. It's like, that's like, that's really scary and sad. That's like, uh, uh, somebody like planning a murder or something like, you know, not nearly on the same level, but like, you know, that's a heist. That's a, a, a true, a true fucking crime. Uh, there's, there's no passion in that. There's no, uh, like, you know, spontaneity in it. It was like somebody fucking followed us to do that shit. And, um, and it was just kind of like, yeah, like, fuck the world for that. Like, that that was unbelievably horrible. But then all of a sudden, like, immediately after, it was like the world was unfucked. It was like, the, it balanced itself out in that moment so fucking hard. Like, uh, the, the, the response from that shit got to a point where it was like, I don't know, we had a good night. That's insane. We should, I mean, like, how what other line of work do you have a good night after your entire business is stolen from you? You know, like, I don't know. It, it's like, it was $30,000 worth of equipment and it was all of our equipment from the time that we were 12 years old till that moment. Like, you know, like, uh, some of us before that, it's like, um, you know, I had a trumpet that, uh, Evan, Evan Weiss from, uh, into it over it, um, a trumpet that, uh, he gave me and it was like this super special moment where like, um, his uncle passed away and left him a trumpet and, uh, we were at a show together 
and he was just like, hey, man, I brought you this. I want you to have it because I don't know how to play trumpet, and, like, it's really important to me, and I would keep it and collect dust in my house, but I figure, like, my uncle would have wanted it to be, like, used, and I feel like you're the person that I want to, like, use it. And it was just like, you know, we, like, shared so much, like, it was just like a tearful exchange where it was just like, holy fuck, man, like, that, you know, it's like asking, like somebody asking you to be like their best man or something. Like, uh, it was so important. And that fucking trumpet was stolen. Like it was taken. Uh, and like, you know, that was the, that was the first thing I thought of when, uh, I saw the trailer was gone. Um, but then once we started, like, uh, the first, he was the first person I called before like my parents or anything. And I called him and I was just like, crying and i was like dude like i can't uh i don't know how to like say this to you and i don't know how you know like you're gonna hate me forever for this but like that trumpet is gone and he was like i don't know it was like he he just immediately jumped right to like what can i fucking do to help like what do you need what can i like mail you what guitar do you need you know, like, tell me anything and I'll help you out. Like, don't fucking think about that trumpet for a second. Uh, just the same as like my uncle would have wanted you to like, or to, for it to be played and not collect dust. He also would understand like, you know, he's a trumpet player. He's a musician. Like he under he understood the, like the pains of bringing an instrument with you and like, the love that you have for an instrument that can be taken away from you in a moment where somebody takes it. It's like, he's just like, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. You know, like, uh, I think it's, it's that kind of shit that like, you just don't get in, in other jobs, you know, like, I don't know, like a desk job as, uh, as rewarding it as it could be for like different reasons. Uh, there's really not another job where like the connection you have with your tools uh, could be like, so like uh, overshadowed by the connection you have with people, you know, like and, and the way that like uh, people's like love and uh, I don't know, charity could like overshadow that shit so much. It was, uh, I don't know one one of the most like, uh, polarizing days for for my my uh my brain i think music isn't everything like you can you can do music while you're walking you can do music while you're working you it's in movies it's played in between every single break of a tv show it's everywhere and i think for you to as a band to be able to create music and hopefully at some point you guys will be uh, comfortable and not have to do another job but for you guys to do that and have people care i think you've already won oh 100 percent. i i totally agree i uh i yeah i i think that we i think that you're you've hit the nail on the head it's like uh you know this shit could be gone in an instant you know like uh we we could all die in a fiery van crash. We could all, uh, people could just, in, just instantly stop caring about our music. You know, like tragedy happens. It's like, but at the end of the day, we, 
I think we'll always have like moments like that, you know, that trailer robbery where it's like, where you really learn something about like humanity and it just completely is just like, I don't know. It's like, who gives a shit about like uh, the, the music side of all of that? Like, you know, it's like a, a real, a real, uh, example of like humanity, like correcting itself, which is just, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't say I would like to go through it again, but I, I do feel like, uh, another example of that humanity would be uh, much appreciated every year. But I, you saying that it's like you've, it's been instilled since your sister and brother told you about those bands and you went and saw maybe some of the shows or you went online and watched a video or you maybe saw your first show or in your first band and someone told you, Oh, this is what you do at the show. And this is how you act. Like, like, this is kind of what people do and you can do your own thing, but this is kind of accepted or this is how you act and you learn those things and then you shared. And I think that same thing where of course the people that you're with and associated with, when something wrong happens, you find out who your friends are. I'm really looking forward to the, like the last record of this band. Uh, not like I can't wait till this ends, but I'm looking forward to like the moment where we decide it's over and like, look back at all of it. Uh, because so far it's like, you know, these have been like the most fulfilling five years of my life. Uh, they've been probably the five weirdest, uh, at a lot of times, like emotionally draining years of my life, but they've also been like the five probably best years that I've ever felt like. You know, like when I was in high school and college, it's like you're always just kind of like doing what, whatever you're supposed to be doing. But then all of a sudden, it was like when we started doing these tours, it was like, I have this new purpose and I like, I believe in what I'm doing for the first time. And like, I don't know. That's, that, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being able to look back at all of it. Connor, you did great. <laughs> I did great with the, the podcast or the yeah my my life. No, you both. <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I, I agree with one of them. <laughs> Maybe one of them, not both. <laughs>